Hello, you're listening to the Brainy Speech Therapist podcast. We're your hosts, Helen McLean and Jan McIntosh-Brown. Here, we aim to look at all aspects of brain injury, from the research to the rehabilitation, and always through the lens of speech and language therapy. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Brainy Speech Therapist podcast. I'm Helen McLean. And I'm Jan McIntosh-Brown. So it's just Jan and myself um, chatting away in this episode and what we decided to do was something we've been talking about for a little while which is to focus in on a journal article that we have read and found really interesting and thought we would have a bit of a discussion about what we were taking away from it. And, of course, we'll put the kind of link to this in the show notes and if you're familiar with the content of this article, we would love to hear your thoughts as well. So, without further ado, um, the article that we are talking about is titled Meeting the Confused Patient with Confidence – Perceived Benefits of Communication Partner Training in Subacute TBI. And this is by Nielsen, Randrup, Jensen and Power and was published in Brain Injury and um, was published in 2022, published online the 26th of December 2022. Like I say, we'll put the link in the show notes so that you can you can access this article yourself. And we thought this was quite a topical article to Um, discuss because last episode we talked about prolonged disorders of consciousness and this is kind of talking about the next stage when a person is in PTA or and and just starting to to come to and how staff it's a sub-acute unit Helen Mm -hmm. so in a multidisciplinary team and looking at the staff communication support and yeah just looking at how how we provide support to staff and training and all sorts of ideas to support communication in those early stages yeah so i think the premise of this is essentially the the authors are speech and language therapists as as you say jan in in the yeah in denmark Denmark, yeah. yeah And they decided to have a look at how staff on the unit across disciplines felt in terms of their confidence to support someone with communication difficulties, especially in that um, immediate kind of um, stage after after brain injury. So they talk about post traumatic amnesia and post traumatic confusional state, which. Um, I'm more familiar with using the term post-traumatic amnesia. As far as I can see in the article, they're using these two terms kind of interchangeably, but they focus on using more post-traumatic confusional state. Would you agree, Jan, that they're yeah, using the same? Yeah, they, they do say that they are referring to PTA as this PTCS. And so so they talk, they describe a little bit about the difficulties people have when they're in this stage of the recovery and also the challenges that they have on their unit um, in terms of supporting people with their communication 
I think there was a survey that they did with their staff. Like it was not by the speech and language therapist. It was a sort of more generic survey. And one of the big issues that all staff identified was that they wanted support to help people with their communication. And it was an area that that staff were finding to be quite demanding and time consuming and that they lacked confidence in supporting people with their communication. So this is kind of why the speech and language therapist decided to embark on this program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we're talking about a group of patients who are, like we spoke about in the last episode, um, they are out of that state of altered consciousness, but they might still have um, quite significant neurological difficulties um, and so might be struggling to orientate to where they are, to follow what people are asking them to do, why they're in the environment that they're they're in. Um, and they have this quite nice thing that they say, don't they, about this reality that um, per- a person can be confused, which is um, that we're just not in the same reality together, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a nice way to talk about it because... It talks about being. It gives you that sense of it's. It's not a challenge. It's just that we're not together in the same space. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and, and like you say, Jan, they kind of they they start chatting through about the difficulties that these differences can, in communication can pose. You know, it's time consuming. We're maybe talking about individuals that have expressive difficulties. They are confused about where they are or why they're there. Um, They might have negative emotions towards clinicians because they're not maybe fully understanding what those people are there to do. There's maybe comprehension difficulties. All the sorts of things that often speech and language therapists are quite skilled in working in, but not necessarily other healthcare professionals. And I think what comes through in the article is particularly... A lot of kind of nursing staff can find that particularly difficult to to work with, and they talk more about some of the other reasons why that might be that we'll come on to after the the bulk of our kind of conversation. Yeah, so the speech and language therapists decided to do communication partner training. I mean, I think it's well documented that this is um, useful and successful in more um, later stages of recovery after TBI. So there wasn't as much evidence that it would be helpful in the subacute stage. So they they obviously had a look at lots of different programs, TBI Express, TBI Connect, um, but the program they decided to go with was Supported Conversations for Adults with Aphasia, which which is kind of language-based, um, which TBI, we tend to think, okay, we're looking more at COGCOM, Cognitive Communication Disorders Approach. However, it might be that in the subacute phase, people are still sorting out their language as well. So with a bit more focus on supported conversations um, in terms of supporting people's language was perhaps the focus that they wanted to take. And I think they make mention as well about the different kind of intensity of the of these different kind of training programs. 
that something like TBI Express does require quite a lengthy kind of process to, to get fully kind of trained up through that, whereas supported conversation for adults with aphasia, um, I think it's a kind of full, the full course is kind of a 2D online, but it can be delivered in kind of group learning across half a day and I think in this particular article they did um, did it in three hour sessions with staff so I think they were talking about the practicalities that I'm sure we've all experienced within working within our, our kind of services that um, it's not going to be feasible really to to train people over a number of weeks and weeks in something whereas a single three hour block a dose yeah, um, to just give people the beginnings of something and to hopefully feel more confident in what to do. Yeah. So their questions, so their hypothesis or the reason that they were doing their research was the first question is actually the last question really <laughs> because it's after the training. Um, do staff working in the unit perceive changes to the availability of communication tools so that the staff have completed the training so now are they more aware of the communication tools that are available to them and do they feel more uh, that they have more strategies within themselves to use for people with their communication do they feel more effective that their communication with people that are in PTA is more effective and do they feel that this their new skills and the training that they've received is of benefit to the patients? So that that's kind of the first thing that they wanted to find out from their research. Um, do you want? Yeah. yeah right. Um. So yeah, and then their second question was again around focusing on the staff, but um, do they rate their interactions with their patients differently having had this training um, do they feel more confident with their communication with patients in this post-traumatic confusional state does having this training make a difference to that um, and then the kind of last aspect was what are the barriers or the facilitators the, the staff who have this training what can they identify to help kind of implement communication support for this group of patients in post-traumatic confusional state. It's all very much focused around having this training. Does it have an impact on staff with that then knock-on effect to actually benefiting patients mm -hmm. as well, feeling that they are better supported? Um, I think, I'll just as a quick aside here, I think sometimes... Um, we can maybe think that someone in that kind of state that there's not a lot that we can do in terms of rehab but I think what we're seeing more and more um, with the evidence base coming out is that there are there's not necessarily things we can do to allow someone to emerge from that state more quickly but we can certainly do things to support that person to engage as best as they can more effectively yeah yeah and I think that's what kind of heading towards and we've mentioned the INCOG guidelines a couple of times we keep on talking about doing a whole episode on the COGCOM aspect um, we will do it um, but there is a section on that on the kind of evidence base for post-traumatic amnesia, post 
traumatic confusional state, whatever you want to call it. So that maybe ties in nicely with those INCOG guidelines because I think they do mention about supportive communication within that. So I think it's just it's nice to kind of read this article alongside those INCOG guidelines having been updated earlier in the year. So... I don't think we're going to go into too much on the method, um, but we will sort of describe it briefly in terms of what the speech therapist did, uh, just to give you a bit of a flavour. So the first thing that they did was they provided an information session about the project. So they invited as many staff as they could to this session and I'm assuming just talked about the project and tried to recruit some, you know, a positive sense towards it and a willingness to participate. And I think they had 204 staff members, so across the whole MDT, including, you know, the medics. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think 204 people were in the team. And of the 204, I think they actually got 104 people to participate fully. So once they'd had that initial introduction session, every staff member received a pre-training questionnaire, which asked, you know, in terms of their confidence, how they were finding communication with people at this point, their use of strategies and those sorts of things. And of the people who returned those questionnaires, they then, only people that returned the questionnaires would um, complete the training. So then they did the three-hour training session. They talk a little bit about some more informal top-up sessions. So I I think they could be from, and and the authors can correct me, um, corridor chats as well as just sort of problem-solving on the spot and and maybe reviewing people, uh, patients together or resources together. So it was was quite um, just whatever was needed at the time. I think it was six months after the training... They then sent out 104 questionnaires to the people that had completed the training. So, you know, I I can't remember the exact figures, but they did get quite a good return rate from the people that had gone through the training in terms of the returned questionnaires. And their thoughts about it was that the people that came to the training were those that were motivated. So therefore, they were the people that were likely to return the questionnaires. So... So yeah, yeah. I think um, I think one thing we should mention that I don't think we have, but this supported conversation for adults with aphasia training. Um, they took the content from the Aphasia Institute based in Toronto. So they, Jan and I were chatting before we started recording. There's a free basic module that's accessible to anyone and everyone, as far as we can see. Um, but I think the content of this training was maybe taken from the kind of next stage up, which is, I think, a two-day course, as far as I can understand. Um, so I suppose it's just as much to highlight that there's some free training that's accessible, but also just to give the authors the due course, because I think they have been on the full training and they've adapted it for um, to, to provide to these, these kind of staff members. Um I really like just what you kind of mentioned there, Jan, around the kind of helping to keep those skills 
in place and the implementation of them that they that they mentioned because I certainly know it's one thing to do a, a kind of a focused piece of work to aid someone's knowledge and understanding but it's about keeping that going and not and, and actually practically implementing it so I really liked that they kind of mentioned some things around having some posters up around the the centre that can reminded people of things having certain materials that were very easily accessible to staff like certain communication books that might have been relevant for certain patients that that kind of ongoing training like you mentioned and just about bringing it up around in kind of MDTs about it being a shared focus that it's not just about one person taking responsibility for that person's communication that they all have a part to play um but I also just really liked about the kind of more subtle kind of influence that happened um that people were quite open about talking about what the communication needs were for people that speech and language therapists were really present at goal meetings to kind of really emphasize this is what this person needs so it just sounded like some really nice practical ways to keep that going and keep the conversation going and I imagine that that would mean staff if you weren't feeling as confident to my mind anyway that could maybe mean that you could say do you know I'm not feeling as confident about these skills with this particular patient can I shadow you a bit more can I talk about this a bit more what should I do um which personally that's that's kind of a dream isn't it (laughs) to be able to have staff show that passion and that interest to support people yeah yeah I think there's merit in in having a sort of dual model isn't there so you provide some group training because it it get it helps you maximize your time you can share a lot of information with a lot of people there can be group discussions and chats and sharing but then that more more one-to-one follow-up and like a buddy type mm-hmm, system mm-hmm. I've, I've always been pro a buddy type system or you know communication champion type system where you know you you really focus on the skills of certain people and um, my little analogy is a rising tide lifts all ships so you know <laughs> if we can if we can create some positive communication in a few key people then maybe you know those key people can help the rest of the staff as well um, so it sounds like that the, the speech and language therapists were quite trying to be approachable and make themselves available to support people as they needed it. Uh, one of the examples they they shared that I quite liked, Helen, was the making up communication sheets for you know for the different disciplines you know Mm, to explain mm -hmm. different tasks and so that's something that I've started to adopt in my my service is to sort of think about okay what what are the key messages that certain disciplines want to share and let's start making up some communication resources Mm -hmm. for them Mm -hmm. um yeah so then in terms of results and again get the article for get for a more comprehensive um review of the results but they did show some positive results mm-hmm. yes so in terms of question 1 now again i actually read this article 2 months ago i was telling helen and i wrote some notes and i went back to read the article for today and i was like i don't understand my notes so um i think uh it's uh, good evidence for me at least that you know having a 
a bit of time to digest, a bit of time to reflect, a bit of time to sort of think about what does this mean to me and then going back and reading again, it highlights different things and it makes it more um, cohesive, for at least for me. So question one, that was about, you know, that after the training, do you feel like you have more resources? Do you feel like you're more aware? How, how do you feel communication is now? Is it more effective? So that was that question. And so they showed that they used a four-point scale for those questions and they showed a significant improvement for that um that question which is great mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it shows that you know people have taken on board some of the information they're more aware of what's available to them and they are using it mm-hmm. so yeah because I think if we just kind of compare some of the things that they kind of make a comment on about some of the, the barriers that they kind of noticed um was things around kind of not having enough time to support someone's communication, not having access to materials, coming up with ideas of how to support someone, not knowing how to kind of help someone if they have other challenges that might act as a as a barrier to using communication aids. You know, I think they they make mention of, for example, visual difficulties or reduced attention. But what we were seeing and just reviewing the, the content of the article here, they're saying that you know, 91% of their respondents stated that they felt that they were handling communication differently um, and that they had more tools to manage those communication interactions. Um, I mean, that's quite a stark difference, isn't it? Um and I think also we were talking before about it's not just about the staff feeling better, but does this have an impact on patients? And their survey results were saying showed 86% either agreed or strongly agreed that the communication was more effective and that patients were benefiting from that support. Um, so suggesting that there's some reduction in those barriers that were mentioning, you know, they've, they have better access to materials and how to use them, mm-hmm. which is, you know, they're two different things almost, aren't they? They're maybe not feeling that pressure around, I can't think of how to interact with individuals that have got these different communication and abilities. You, yeah, and do you know something quite controversial that they talk about? What's um, that? <laughs> <laughs> is they talk about... And I, I don't know that any of the questionnaires identified this, but but the two speech therapists talk about that um, potentially staff are have ha, avoid communication with people in PTA. So um, I guess if staff are feeling more confident that that they will they'll, they'll, they'll feel more able and and not avoiding these. Conversations, so I thought that was really, really quite yeah. controversial, and that's so interesting. And I have to say, well done to those staff yeah. members for feeling yeah. able to to say that because I'm not sure everyone would be willing to kind of put that down on paper in a in a survey. But and when you think about someone who is in in post traumatic confusional state, and I'm calling it that because that's what the article calls it. Like I say, I'm used to saying PTA, but 
you know, these are often patients who might present with behaviours that challenge, um, that, as you said, Jan, there's that kind of confused reality of the situation um, that can lead to more perceived negative behaviours. And of course, I'm biased as a speech therapist, but I think a lot of the time that can be mitigated by good communication. So if we have staff who feel better able to support someone Mm -hmm. and feel more empowered with how to approach that individual and at least begin to have some sort of supported conversation with them, that's got to be a good thing, hasn't yeah. it? I mean, we've all run down the corridor, haven't we, to a meeting and you come face-to-face with someone with high communication support needs and you think, OK, I need to be late for this meeting because this is going to take time, you know? Mm-hmm. And so maybe it's, you know, that that avoiding is also, you know, I've got, I've got 10 tasks that I have to get through today, you know, and I have to, t- you know, so let's just try and move this, move this on, so. Yeah, because it's not just, necessarily an emotional avoiding. No. It's that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Time constraints, and it, and and I think that's where the the title of this article is perfect because it's about meeting the confused patient with confidence. That's what we're what we're talking about, and I always say this to to people. You know, it's about meeting that patient where they are at that moment in time. So, like you're saying there, Jan, if you're busy trying to get to a meeting, but actually you've got someone there who's caught you in the corridor. But you're like, actually, I need to spend that bit of time with them because that's what they need and that actually benefits them. Because mm-hmm. all that happens otherwise is you're just transferring their need to someone else. And it becomes a greater need. Exactly, exactly. Um, there was a couple other things that I found really interesting, but maybe not massively surprising, that the study showed was... That the staff kind of cohorts, so nurses and kind of nursing assistants overall felt less confident in their ability to support communication needs than any of the therapy staff, including I think physiotherapists and occupational therapists. And they do make um kind of comment about why that might be. And we were saying, Jan, obviously nursing staff have more kind of immediate care needs that maybe need to be kind of dealt with there and then, you know, medication or dressing changes. Personal care. Yeah. All... Excuse Rue in the background. <laughs> she's... Helen's dog. <laughs> she's making a She's appearance. confused. Yes. <laughs> she's often having to be part of this, isn't she? Um, but yeah, just so, so it's maybe more difficult for nursing staff to... Um, to go away and come back to do something whereas speech and language therapists physios we can we can go away and come back another time or we can have maybe a bit more time to sit with a person and work out what it is that's going on or if that person is confused to sit down and do some orientation work with them um and we maybe have had more of an opportunity to learn those skills whereas nursing staff may or may not have had the opportunity to learn those skills. It's not traditionally part of their core um, kind of day-to-day job role, is it? You know, I think, and it will depend, I guess, on the area, the, the kind of setting that you're in. If you're in specific brain injury, we have you might have more staff more skilled in it. But, um, yeah, it's 
and this is definitely something I've often thought therapists can we can change what we do much more easily than a nurse who's like actually this medication needs to be given now I've got five other people needing their medication yeah and yeah, yeah. Um, but it was interesting because I think I think for all that there was still a difference between the two groups I think nursing staff did overall report an increased confidence in ability to use some some strategies um but yeah I just I think it's interesting but like interesting but not surprising like I say that that's that's the difference and I would imagine probably any therapist working in any area might hear that and think yeah I could see that being the case even in my stroke population or you know other kind of care of the elderly or any of these sorts of areas um yeah, um, moving on to some of the discussion, but the th- I'll, I'll just read what I wrote because um, it's it was obviously important to me the first time I read the article. <laughs> You've written down a note and now yeah. you don't remember why. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, it talks about that people with this in PTA, they lack this stable and continuous understanding of what has happened to them and where they are. So this creates added difficulty that that understanding what it is that they're attempting to communicate because they're speaking from that different reality, which they talked to, the authors talked about at the beginning. So clinicians cannot always assume that what the person is trying to explain will make sense mm-hmm. to the clinician mm-hmm. in, in our own sense of reality and that the person may experience negative emotions as a result of that lack of shared reality. So, mm. I mean, I think we mentioned already, I quite I quite like that because it talked about that it's, it's, we're in this together and we're trying to work our way through and, and trying to connect somewhere mm. and trying to, you know, you're probably trying to listen to this person and think what part of this is... is can I link the realities together to try and draw the person towards me, you know? So so that was something that I thought was was really poignant about the, the discussion. And I think in the context of them using supported conversations for people with aphasia, um, they make a really good kind of point around that, that if we are having a conversation, a conversation with someone with a language disorder then there's still a shared reality there. But that doesn't apply for the post-traumatic confusional state. Like you say, Jan, there's that difference potentially in reality. The two perceptions, me and the patient, might be looking, um, talking about two completely different things. And there's no point trying to get them to accept your reality, my reality. It's If you push against that, that's when that... Yeah, it that, it doesn't it doesn't work. It doesn't no. no, and it's and it's not right for the the patient. And so they do acknowledge that the training is focusing on language, and it's not going to address the kind of cognitive or the behavioural challenges that can have a significant impact on co- on communication. A big part of that is down to the kind of the difference in 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 or the lack of shared reality that's there. Um, that we can't understand. We'll try our best. Yeah. But if someone believes that they are somewhere else, yeah. 
Um, I usually try to talk about the weather. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about something that's concrete that uh, we can see and uh-huh. feel and hear, you know. Yeah, because we were just talking about this in our, my kind of workplace last week around. We've had people who are insistent that they are somewhere else, um, you know, on Ibiza or something like that. Uh-huh. And cruise so, ship. Yeah, yes, cruise ships, I think, must quite come up quite a lot. Yeah. yeah. And so then you can maybe try and make a comment around, oh, well, the weather's not great for this, do you know, this um, Caribbean cruise or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Then just that can sometimes be your start of your way in for them to kind of go, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. But yeah, the, the the context of this article isn't isn't about necessarily that, but they just make, they, they make the acknowledgement that this particular type of training... Um, is focusing on language, but I feel like they were using it around here's just some overall skills. Yeah. 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 Build, build the relationship with the staff and the understanding, and then we can also add in mm-hmm. additional stuff. Yeah. So. Um, I think some of the other things I really liked about this article was um, the fact that they give you quite a lot to take away to actually practically implement yourself which I love in the appendix yes yeah Yeah, um, because I feel quite often you can read articles and you know that was really interesting but how can I apply that and what is it that they actually did (laughs) and what were the what what strategies did they suggest and yeah yeah. but the yeah they do have was it two appendices with um different strategies listed Because they talk about maybe some of the specific materials that they have um, within their unit around, for example, having some pictures from different areas in the unit that maybe staff can use with with patients, um, that they have some fairly generic sounding kind of communication cards, like a yes-no card or um, kind of medica- medical kind of pictures around you know, pain management, medication. Um but I also thought it was really interesting that they have some other um, supported communication charts that are maybe quite specific for the setting that they are in around, they particularly mentioned things around involving patients in meetings, which I really liked just that implication that someone, even though they have communication difficulties or they're in post-traumatic confusional state, they are still having that information given to them that, yeah, we are having a conversation and a meeting about you. <laughs> um, which I don't know if that happens everywhere. I don't know if it happens a lot in your setting, Jan. I know I hear a lot in kind of NHS that maybe the patient doesn't get to be there. Um, not all the time. So I yeah. just like that implication that that's happening. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it presents its own challenges, doesn't it? Because it can be distressing for mm. people. However, we always do try to include perhaps an abridged version where the person can, can come in and have a summary, which is not communication overload, you know, with yeah. um, communication support. Just like available. that idea about, you know, preparing the patient. Uh-huh. Here's what we're... There's going to be this meeting and it's going to be about you and then mm-hmm. however they have it have it set out that I just thought that's that's a little project for services to take on if they're not already Im- implementing those things. The speech therapist can be thinking, okay, what materials can we put together that maybe allows yeah. patients to be part of that a little bit more? Um, so yeah, I think that was one appendix, wasn't it? And I think there's another one 
Um, if you hear rustling, it is us going through <laughs> <laughs> these things. The actual paper. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they have some things about kind of the content of the questionnaire and different types of, um, I think, some ideas about kind of posters and how to. Um, kind of what they call nudge staff about different types of supported conversations. Um, they make mention of things around like having kind of reminders and educational games and things like that. Um, and they also speak a bit about in their other appendix um, around kind of some of the practical stuff, mm-hmm. isn't it, Jan? About how to support someone's comprehension. And yeah, day-to-day plan on whiteboard, yes-no cards. So it's kind of the tools that you might want to use. I mean, mm-hmm. slow, slowing your speech, repeating yourself, you know. So, And I think these are all things that are, you know, bread and butter for us. And I think we can sometimes forget, forget that not everyone is aware of these mm-hmm. things because it's just so core to what we do. And I think my understanding is that they, you know, this has been a core part of the three-hour block, but then they've had other ways, like you know, like we said about posters or conversations on the, you know, ad hoc, just to kind of offer these reminders that these are things to do. Um, and I, th- I imagine if you've got staff that maybe have a better understanding about why you would maybe use certain types of language with a person you're speaking slowly, speaking clearly, or offering repetitions of information, all these sorts of things. If they've got the beginnings of understanding that and then you're reminding them a couple of months later in a conversation about a patient, they maybe start to kind of go, oh yeah, right, I can take that on. I do remember talking about that and I feel better about how to use it. Um... Yeah, because I think it's interesting just seeing there about you know conversation book or unit mm-hmm. book. I've certainly seen people kind of go, how 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 do I use this? You know, it's just sitting there, and it might be hard for that patient to initiate using it. Or, um, you know, the some patients are really good at pointing to something and then be able to, you know, to give gesture or single words or something around it, and other people can and that's back to meeting the patient where they are mm-hmm. and so just giving staff more skills and how to maybe prompt a person yeah. yeah yeah so a really nice article thank you jan for suggesting it and <laughs> and get and i got to read it twice so that's yeah. great <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh we do encourage you to go and find the article we'll put a link to it in the show notes and yeah if you'd like to come and talk about it please get in touch with us and let us know if you're running any projects around this sort of um, communication partner training. I know I'm wanting to get one off the ground um, in my service, so be interested to hear all about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. We're always keen to hear what other people are doing. And selfishly, if you're already generating materials to use in training, I would love to see them because that would be lovely to collaborate on or yeah be shared have shared with us and things you know these are the things that take take up a lot of time isn't it they do take time um yeah no um something a bit different for today's episode then a bit of a you know a journal discussion i'd like to do this more often though yeah it's been nice to have 
time to kind of sit and properly reflect on an article. I mm-hmm. feel like that's not often something that happens. And like I say, an article that is so useful as well. Um, so the pressure's on me now to come up with one for the next time since you brought this one, Jan. <laughs> but um, if you're listening and you've read an article yourself or you're aware of a study or anything that you think would be something you would like to hear us talk about or you would like to join us to chat about, then do get in touch through um, our Instagram and X formerly known as Twitter accounts, have done better this time to call it by its actual name. Um, Yeah, we would love to hear from you. But yeah, for now, we'll say cheerio until next time. Okay. Bye, everybody. Bye. The opinions and views expressed in this podcast are of the individual and should not be considered professional advice. If you have a brain injury, suspect you have a brain injury, or think someone you know has a brain injury, please seek dedicated professional advice.